everybody welcome to the export i'm ribbon x and this week we are going to be doing things a bit differently um as you guys have noticed ethan is not on this week's show he's dealing with some personal stuff so he's going to be taking this week off so for those of you who are religious please say a prayer for him him and his family they got a lot going on hopefully he'll be back next week but either way just hope he takes all the time that he needs to get back right but we still got an interesting show for you guys um i'm going to recap royal rumble 2022 as well as give my 2021 nfl team mvps before we get to any of that please sure check out the export.net our peak export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our youtube channel entitled the export so kicking things off let's go ahead and start off with royal rumble 2022 here's what happened um, after refusing to go, let go of the guillotine, Roman Reigns technically loses but remains champion. Ronda Rousey comes back to win the Rumble, a.k.a. ruining what had potential to be a good night for me. Um, Becky Lynch retains against Dewdrop. We return to the almighty era after Roman flips Paul Heyman back to the tribe. The grit couple takes down the it couple despite getting a vintage showing from Maurice. And Lesnar avenges his championship loss and wins the Rumble. I went two and four. Truthfully, I didn't really care anymore after the Ronda match. Not going to lie to you guys. Uh, my favorite match was Bobby Lashley versus Brock Lesnar for the WWE Championship. I mean, all in all, I mean, it wasn't a masterful technical performance. But, I mean, considering the guys involved, that's not what anybody expected it to. I think that it did a good job of pretty much pushing the narrative of Brock Lesnar is coming back for revenge, sets up a WrestleMania match, and I'm not mad at it, honestly. It's nice to see Bobby back as champion for how long. That's TBD. But, overall, I think it was an overall good performance. Uh, moving on to my favorite moment, Paul Heyman returning to the tribe where he belongs. I mean, I remember having a conversation about Roman saying he doesn't necessarily need Paul Heyman, but it's really fun to see him with Paul Heyman. So I'm back happy that they're back together. I'm interested to see how that's all going to play out, especially with Mania and everything um, coming up. Moving on to my increased stock, I have Maurice. My decreased stock, unpredictability. As for Maurice, I mean, like I said, in the recap, I mean, she had a really vintage performance, and instead of just getting squashed by Beth Phoenix, she actually was able to showcase some of the talents that she had back when she was wrestling full-time, and that's something we really haven't seen from her um, in her recent matches, so it was nice to see her back, even though when I was a kid, she was never my favorite, just because, you know, Mickey James held that spot in my heart. I mean, it was cool to see Marisa get a nice performance and get some against Beth Phoenix. And then for unpredictability, I mean, if you guys listen to the prediction show, I pretty much mentioned Ronda potentially winning it. Um, and then after seeing Brock lose, it was pretty clear that Brock was going to end up winning the men's Royal Rumble, which kind of sucks because, I mean, the unpredictability of the Rumble match is what makes it so great. And that's, you know, just kind of factoring in the winners. Then with regards to actual participants, the women's match did have some um, cool entries like Melina coming in early. That was a great one. Ivory coming in, Cameron, Alicia Fox, making appearance like guys like Sorry, women like that. It was cool. But the men's match did not have that, which was, was a very, very weird thing. Um, my one book of decision, I wouldn't have had Ronda win. I feel like there were much more deserving candidates to win. I don't think the WWE needs Ronda Rousey. She could have stayed at home with her kid or whatever the hell she was doing. But it makes money, so who cares what I think. My WTF moment, the WrestleMania sign catching on fire. If that's not a sign, Ronda shouldn't have won the Rumble. I don't know what is. After she won and, of course, did the infamous point to the sign, her pyro went and touched the sign. I know that I'm sure 
people who know notice knows the crowd was not exactly totally in to the dewdrop and Becky Lynch match. Yeah, because the sign once again was on fire and so a whole section of the floor like had to be evacuated while they fixed it. And truthfully I was definitely focused on that because that was wild. And my show grade, it was a D. Was not impressive. Didn't love it. Um like I mentioned, I mean that's not totally just factoring in my hate for Ronda Rousey. Just overall, I feel like this is definitely one of the weaker rumbles that we have had in recent years. And that sucks because you all know how much I love the Royal Rumble. Something else I love, the NFL. So I know there's only one real MVP of this season, but that does not mean NFL teams did not get shining performances from their star players. So what I'm going to try to do, an emphasis on try, is run through each team's MVP, give their stats, a little background as to why I picked them, and blah, blah, blah. Of course, like usual, if you disagree or you are kind of questioning more, you can always hit me up, ask me about it. But we're going to start things off with the Arizona Cardinals. This one isn't as much of a surprise. Kyler Murray. This season played in 14 games, completed 333 passes out of 481 passing attempts, 69.2 completion percentage, 3,787 passing yards, 24 passing touchdowns compared to 10 picks, 88 rushing attempts, 423 yards, 5 rushing touchdowns, 13 fumbles, and had 2 tackles. Why, Kyler? Like I said, this one isn't necessarily a surprise. I mean – through the first few weeks of the season, I mean, he looked like the MVP of the league overall. I mean, it looked like he had really found a way to encompass the running talents of Lamar Jackson, the beautiful arm of Patrick Mahomes into one guy. And it was working. However, that a that sustainability of that play was not there, whether it be from the ankle injury that he suffered, losing D Hop. I mean, overall, things kind of went to began to sputter overall for the Cardinals over the course of the season. But still, with just seeing how well Kyler played, I'm sure that that's going to make things a lot more expiring for the future of this organization. So I'm going to show some love to Kyler. Moving on to the Atlanta Falcons. Easy, another easy one for me. Running back Cordero Patterson. This past season played in 16 games, rushed for 153, had 153 rushing attempts, 618 rushing yards, 4.0 yards per carry, six rushing touchdowns, two fumbles, 52 receptions out of 69 targets, 548 receiving yards, five receiving touchdowns, one passing attempt, and one tackle. I know we talk about the versatility of Debo and how big of an impact that he had on the San Francisco 49ers, which of course we'll get to later, but Cordell Patterson was also a very versatile piece in this Falcons offense. I mean, I think you take him away, especially after Calvin Ridley left the team, and you get a very different um, Falcons offense. I mean, they did sign Mike Davis to come in and be their RB1, but he was getting outclassed on a routine basis, and truthfully, I was more impressed by what Cordell Patterson was able to do as opposed to the likes of Kyle Pitts, the rookie that they just drafted and that with the eighth overall pick. Um, and other guys, Russell Gage had some moments. But overall, I think that Cordell Patterson really showcased why he was a first-round pick in 2013. The versatility is what is going to make him a superstar. And truthfully, I'm excited to see how things all shake out. But with regards to where he ends up in this offseason, but he definitely earned himself quite a bit of money, even though he was snubbed for the Pro Bowl. All right, moving on to the Baltimore Ravens. Wow, this was a – as a Ravens fan, I'll be the first to say this was not my favorite year of football for us, but the LSU Bowl 
next week is going to make up for it. Um, For the Ravens, this was easily going to tight end. Mark Andrews had a career year after signing a big contract extension this past offseason, played in all 17 games, caught a career-high 107 receptions out of 140. 54 targets um set a Ravens record with 1361 receiving yards nine receiving touchdowns one fumble one rushing attempt one fumble and seven tackles I mean like I said it was an incredibly frustrating year for them my team but Mark Andrews was an absolute dog we talk about some of the great tight ends in the league looking at guys like of course Travis Kelsey George Kittle Darren Waller but I think that this year's performance really solidified just how important Mark Andrews is to Baltimore, especially at that tight end position. And truthfully, I don't think there was a better player at his position um, this year, especially factoring in three different quarterbacks were tossing him passes. So he may definitely made good on that contract extension. I think that once we get a healthy Lamar back under center, things are going to really continue to look up for Mr. Andrews. All right, Buffalo Bills quarterback Josh Allen. Um, played in 17 games, had a 409 completions for 600 out of 646 passing attempts, 63.3 complete. Uh, completion percentage threw for 4,407 passing yards 36 passing touchdowns 15 picks 122 rushing attempts 763 rushing yards six rushing touchdowns eight fumbles two lost fumbles one reception one target uh, 12 receiving yards one touchdown and two tackles I think for you guys who've been listening for a while you know I'm kind of while I will be the first to admit that you know Josh Allen is a good player and he's definitely evolved so much since uh, the start of his career I'm still in terms of putting him in the upper echelon of quarterbacks I can't say I am ready to do that but in the postseason I mean he looked like at worst the third best quarterback and that's being incredibly generous I mean after masterful performances against the Patriots and the Chiefs I mean he continues to make me a believer that he has the potential to be one of the greatest of this generation Emphasis on potential because the fact is he still can't get over the Chiefs hump, but that's not what this is about. Overall, he really earned the right to be considered one of the superior quarterbacks of the future. And, I mean, even in his worst moments, I mean, in the great defense that they had on the other side of the ball, but also he had to make some plays. I mean, he had quite a few highlights running the ball. And while, you know, you may not want your quarterback rushing the ball over 100 times, he still did it in a way that was not only safe, but also very entertaining because, I mean, he was knocking fools out left and right and even getting some jukes in, which was even funnier. All right, let's go ahead on to the Carolina Panthers. Now, this was uh, one of the tougher ones to pick just because this season definitely did not live up to the Panthers' hopes and dreams. But while this may be a bit of a surprise, I'm going wide receiver DJ Moore. Yes, over Hassan Reddick, who did ball out this past season. I know. Um, this past season had played in uh, all 17 games, caught 93 passes for 163 targets, four receiving touchdowns, a fumble, one lost, eight rushing attempts, 48 rushing yards, one fumble, and got six tackles. Like I said, this season was pretty poor for Carolina, especially with all the talent that they were bringing in, hoping that uh, Sam Darnold would be the one to kind of lead them to the promised land or even get a kind of nostalgia trip from Cam Newton. While that did not happen and a lot of players suffered because of it, uh, DJ Moore was not one of those guys. I mean, we saw Christian McCaffrey go down and unfortunately not be able to play. Robbie Anderson, after getting a contract extension, kind of disappeared from the face of the earth. However, DJ Moore still made the most of his opportunities and his targets and played pretty pretty good I think that because of that I mean 
with the potential to see him as one of their biggest contributors. I think that that's going to increase his role in this offense. And so whoever his quarterback is going to be next year is going to be very happy to get a guy like him um, on the outside. All right, moving on to the Chicago Bears. Coming into the season, I know this would have been a shock, but after watching, I mean, who else really could it have gone to than Robert Quinn? Playing 16 games, 49 combined tackles with 18 and a half sacks, four forced fumbles. I mean, like I said, not the name anyone really expected, but, I mean, looking at the numbers, who else would you really give this award to? I mean, while he could have wilted once Khalil Mack went down, he really bloomed and shined and then ended up breaking the uh, single-season sack record for the Chicago Bears, which was previously held by um, Richard Dent. Had his best season since 2013 when he had 19 sacks, I believe. Overall, Robert Quinn just showed that he still has a motor and that he can still play. I think that the Bears defense really shined with him there because you take him out of the mix, I don't know if they're going to be able to perform the way that they do. I know Roquan Smith is a dog in the middle of the defense. Then you look back in their secondary, Eddie Jackson has shown a lot of potential, but Robert Quinn is the one who really stuck out in every facet. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the Cincinnati Bengals. And who else could it be but my main man, Joe Burrow? Played uh, 16 games this year, completed 366 passes out of 520 attempts with the league-leading 70.4 completion percentage, threw for 4,611 yards, 34 passing touchdowns to 14 picks, 40 rushing attempts, 118 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns, five fumbles, and two tackles. Listen, listen. I tried to warn everybody that Joe Burrow was a bad, bad man, but nobody wanted to listen to me until the start of the preseason. I mean, the postseason. And now look at him in their first Super Bowl since 1988. I mean, since Joe Burrow came in, he was brought in to change the culture. He had a different swagger about him than we had seen from a lot of quarterbacks to come into the league in a very long time. And not only did he have that swagger, but he was also backing it up with his ability. I think that because of Joe Burrow and just what he brings to the organization, then, of course, pairing him with former wide receiver Jamar Chase, that offense was damn near unstoppable especially down the stretch and like I said we're seeing the fruits of that labor their defense also made some great adjustments made some great moves however this boat does not float without Joe Burrow you take him out from under center and we see what happened last year promising rookie year other quarterbacks just could not compare so I don't like I said, the Bengals made some great offseason additions, but even still, you take Joe off the equation, they're not going to the Super Bowl. They're not winning these games. They are not becoming a national story. So we got to show love with my main man, Joe. Sticking with the Ohio teams, we're going to the Cleveland Browns, giving this out to defensive end Miles Garrett. Played in all 17 games, had 51 combined tackles, 16 sacks, one forced fumble, one fumble recovery of a Fumble recovered for a touchdown and three pass deflections. Once again, a very disappointing year for the Browns. However, Miles Garrett continued to be consistently great. Had a career high in sacks with 16. And early on kind of seemed like a lock for defensive player of the year. But, you know, T.J. Watt came in and said, nah, this is my year. We'll get to T.J. Watt a bit later. I mean, I just think that this was a triumphant year for Miles Garrett because it's one of those things where you know he's coming, you know he's their best player, you know they're going to continue to send him on blitzes, but if you can't stop it, it doesn't matter. And no offensive line has seemed to be able to stop Miles Garrett. Speaking of another unstoppable defensive player, the Dallas Cowboys, this is going to linebacker Micah Parsons. In his rookie year, playing 16 games, had 84 combined tackles, 13 sacks, three forced fumbles, and three pass deflections. 
For the first time in several years, the Cowboys were recognized because of their offense. More so, I mean, their defense more so than their offense. And Michael Parsons played a huge role in that. Between his time at linebacker and defensive end, he proved to be an invaluable cog for this squad and was always there to make a great play, whether it be a sack, whether it be a strong tackle for loss, running down pass catchers and tight ends. I mean, whatever you really needed from this man, he was able to give it to you, especially as the year went on and got more comfortable. Truthfully, he's one of the most disruptive defense defensive rookies of the year I've ever seen and honestly of the ones I've seen he's probably the best and I think that he's really broken the mold as to what to expect out of a first year defender and I'm really excited to see how the rest of his career plays out and if he wants to come to a Baltimore at some point you know I'm perfectly cool with that all right Denver Broncos we're running on our streak of defensive players Broncos another tough team to really kind of narrow down but I'm going safety Justin Simmons after a long contract battle he finally got re-signed to a deal and after the trade of Von Miller, he officially has become the vet for the Broncos, and he really set a great example. 17 games, 80 combined tackles, one and a half sacks, five interceptions, and 12 pass deflections. I mean, I just think that with regards to Justin Simmons, it's he's one of those sure-handed safeties. You know exactly what you're getting when you line him up on the field. You know he's instinctive. You know he's smart. You know he's going to be there to make a play, and that's what he did this whole season. I mean, <clears throat> Deep injuries ran deep against the Broncos, especially at linebacker. However, the tale is oldest time. Justin Simmons was there. Of course, I'd love to throw the award out to an offensive player. Javante Williams was also kind of a thought, but I don't think it's his time yet. I still don't see any player on the squad outperforming Justin Simmons this past season. Moving on to the Detroit Lions. Speaking of another rookie, we're we're going wide receiver Amon Ra St. Brown. Finished his rookie campaign with 17 games. 90 receptions, 119 targets, 912 receiving yards, five receiving touchdowns, seven rushing attempts for 61 yards, one rushing touchdown, and one tackle. Um, during the whole draft process, I was a really big fan of St. Brown, and I'm happy to see that my love was not in vain. It was a bit of a slow start um, getting a lot of production in the offense, but when he did, he wound up leading the team in yards and receptions by a large margin. I mean, undoubtedly, He's Detroit's top wideout going into the next season. And, of course, while they still need to bring in other weapons around him to really help to get the best out of him, yes, they will be getting TJ Hawkinson back and um, DeAndre Swift. But even still, I mean, Amon Ra definitely differentiated himself and really showcased how talented he was. And I'm excited to see what more he'll be able to produce. I'm sure Jared Goff will probably be their quarterback going into next season. But either way, I mean – He's a guy who you know is going to make plays, and that's something you got to be grateful for in Detroit because you don't really have that many guys like that. But if we're talking about making plays, I don't know if a quarterback did that more than Green Bay's Aaron Rodgers. This past year, had played in 16 games, completed 366 passes out of 531 attempts with a 68.9% completion percentage, threw for 4,115 passing yards, 37 passing touchdowns, and four picks, 33 rushing attempts for 101 yards, three rushing touchdowns, three fumbles, one reception one out of one target, negative four receiving yards. I mean, ignoring how this season ended for Aaron, I mean – this was easily one of his most spectacular of his career. I mean, he really helped give the Packers the feel of that they were on the brink of greatness. This looked like the team that could win the Super Bowl. Of course, that's not what happened. We saw how the season ended, unfortunately, for them. However, 
it's hard to blame Aaron for it. I mean, he was playing some of his best ball despite the controversy with, you know, COVID and if he was going to be on the team coming in. But he just showcased that he's still a bad man and still one of the best in the league to do it. So, like I said, the future's kind of a bit unpredictable, but he still had an MVP caliber year. Whatever happens next, I mean, Aaron Rodgers cannot hang his head after putting up this type of performance. All right, let's go talk about Houston. Not many real candidates here but I found one and it's one of the most consistent players and I feel most underrated players in the league wide receiver Brandon Cooks uh played in 16 games for and had I'm sorry had 90 receptions on 134 targets uh 1037 receiving yards six receiving touchdowns uh six rushing attempts and 21 rushing yards and one tackle I mean, let's be honest here. If it were possible for the Texans to just take this season and erase it from everyone's memory, I'm sure that they would. It was pretty much a wasted year. I'm sure it's going to be a completely new roster, new feel with the new front office coming in. But, unfortunately, life doesn't work like that. They still had to look at this season, and if they're going to look at it, they might as well look at the good, which was Brandon Cooks. I mean, while there are some players who show some flashes, such as Jonathan Grenard on the defensive uh, side of the ball, Brandon Cooks was the only player really worth a damn if we're being honest, um, not yet another thousand yard receiver. I mean, receiving year. And I think whoever their future quarterback is, especially if he ends up not being traded, I think they're going to be happy that they're at least going to have a solid uh, receiver to get the ball out to. All right, moving on to their division rival, the Indianapolis Colts. Couldn't be anybody else besides Jonathan Taylor. I'm sorry, Darius Leonard. You're a bad man, too. Uh, this year, played in 17 games, had 332 rushing attempts, off, rushed for a league leading 1,811 rushing yards, had 5.5 yards per carry, 18 rushing touchdowns, four fumbles, two lost, 40 receptions on 51 targets, 360 receiving yards, two receiving touchdowns, and one fumble. If MVP was not going to a quarterback, I have a hard time picking against Jonathan Taylor for being the winner of said reward. I mean, he was just a natural-born star. We saw it during his time at Wisconsin and during his rookie season when he wasn't sharing carries, he was doing it. And then as the lead back, he was just... He was wild. I mean, led the league in rushing attempts, rushing yards, and rushing touchdowns. The sky is truly the limit for this young back, as I expect Indy to continue to ride them until they just can't anymore. I mean, you're sitting in the same division with the Titans, who you know are going to ride Derrick Henry to the wheels fall off, so why would you not? All right, let's talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars, third straight AFC South team. Another one of the tougher teams to pick, but I'm going to show love to another wide receiver, Marvin Jones uh, Jr. Played in 17 games, caught 73 passes for 120 yards. I'm sorry, on 120 targets, uh, 832 receiving yards and four receiving touchdowns with one tackle. Like I mentioned, was, I mean, it was really few real options, and I wasn't just going to cap out and just go with um, – Trevor Lawrence just because he's the rookie and he's the generational player. So I'm going to go somebody who played a big role in Trevor Lawrence development. Uh, Jones, in my opinion, was one of the better free agent acquisitions this offseason, filling the role of the veteran wide receiver for a very young Jag squad. I mean, he was really a safety net for Lawrence. And I argue that if he was not there, this season would have been a much different. That's not saying much because it's not like the season was um, all that great to begin with. But even still, I mean, you have to be happy with the production that you received from uh, – um, Mr. Jones. All right, Kansas City Chiefs. Let's get back to talking about playoff teams. We're going quarterback Patrick Mahomes. Played 17 games, completed 436 
uh, of his passes out of 658 passing attempts. Good for 66.3 completion percentage. Threw for 4,839 passing yards, 37 touchdowns, 13 picks. Had 66 rushing attempts, 381 rushing yards. And two rushing touchdowns, nine fumbles, lost two, and had one tackle. I mean, definitely the first six weeks of the season were unceremoniously bad for the Chiefs. And Patrick Mahomes, I mean, he was a turnover machine. Yes, a good amount of those turnovers were coming off of batted pass or drop pass. And the other ones were just, he tried to do too much, tried to be too fancy. And because of that, things went awry unfortunately for the rest of the league he started to get back together and showed why he was a 500 million dollar man went on a tear during the mid to late part of the season and overcame the doubters who thought that defenses had finally begun to figure him out unfortunately he's um for defenses he's not been figured out and even though they're not going to the Super Bowl this year which I'm sure a lot of people aren't upset about we still have to worry about the Chiefs for a very very long time Let's talk the Las Vegas Raiders and quarterback Derek Carr, who was my selected as their MVP. Close call between him and Max Crosby. Um, Played in 17 games, completed 428 uh, passes out of 626 passing attempts. Uh, Had a 68.4 completion percentage, threw for 4,804 yards, uh, 23 touchdowns, 14 picks, 40 rushing attempts for 108 rushing yards, and 13 fumbles. Simply put, the Raiders are not going to be in the playoffs without Derek Carr. And sure, they got bounced in the first round, but the fact that they were still able to make it where they did, you have to give them their respect, Um, especially Derek Carr. Looking at, I mean... The problems that happened in their receiving core. I mean, the injury to Darren Waller, which took him out for a sustained amount of time. Henry Ruggs um, getting arrested and subsequently cut. Byron Edwards not really progressing the way that you want him to. And thus, Hunter Renfro really stepped up, which was great for them. But I don't think that the ship would have won as well as it did, had it not been for the performance of Derek Carr. And I think that he deserves a lot of credit for that. While he may not be in the conversation for one of the more exciting or explosive quarterbacks, he still has some fight in him. And I think that's something that's going to keep him around for a while. So got to give some respect to Carr. All right, let's talk about the Los Angeles Chargers, another quarterback who does not have the problem of being exciting, and that is Justin Herbert. This past year, 17 games, 443 completions out of 672 passing attempts, completed 65.9% of his passes for 5,014 passing yards, 38 passing touchdowns, 15 interceptions, 13 rushing attempts with 302 rushing yards, three rushing touchdowns, a fumble, and one tackle. Like I said, on the inverse of Carr, the Chargers do not lack excitement with Justin Herbert under center. I mean, dueling with Burrow as the queen, as the king of the new new school, I mean, he's definitely one of the most exciting quarterbacks that we saw this past season. I'll admit, I kind of expected a bit of a sophomore slump from him. We didn't get that. And I was kind of right about them not making the playoffs, but still, it was not because of Justin Herbert. I mean, that man can ball. He is such a fun and exciting player to watch, and I'm just so intrigued to see what he is going to be able to do as his career progresses. Um, I mean, it's clear to see that the team has really rallied around him. And with his trajectory, the Chargers are going to be a perennial playoff team in no time. All right, let's talk about the other L.A. team, the Los Angeles Rams, who 
are going to be representing the NFC in the Super Bowl. And I got to go with Matthew Stafford. Uh, played in 17 games, completed 404 out of his 601 passing attempts uh, for 67.2 completion percentage, 4,886 passing yards, 41 passing touchdowns to just 17 interceptions, 32 rushing attempts, 43 rushing yards, and five fumbles. I think it's safe to say that bringing in Stafford was the best trade that any team has made in the past five years. After spending the first 12 seasons of his career in Detroit, attempting to bring back life to a long-dead franchise, he finally experienced a rebirth in L.A., and it has paid dividends for not only him but the team. I mean, we're we're really seeing that he proved to be the right piece to not only run the offense but present the talented players to the world. I mean, Cooper Cup, we all knew Cooper Cup was good. He wasn't putting up any numbers like this until he got with Matthew Stafford. Odell, I mean, I knew, and I think everybody really knew that he was a star in the making um, when looking at the his time in New York. And I was a bit wary of him going to Cleveland, but, you know, it's Cleveland. It's a job. He, we knew he was going to be the number one receiver. It didn't work out there. He comes to the Rams. While he may not be the number one receiver, he puts up crazy number one, like, receiver numbers and it is truly exciting to witness him being back in the fold and I think the common denominator between all of that is Matthew Stafford um I just think that without him this would be a very different season for the team Jared Goff while he's not the worst quarterback the world has ever seen I think it's all very safe to say that the Matthew Stafford gives the Rams a very different feel Moving on to the Miami Dolphins, we're going to show love to another rookie wide receiver, Jalen Waddle. Played in 16 games this season with 104 receptions on 140 targets, had 1,015 receiving yards, six receiving touchdowns, one fumble, two rushing attempts for three rushing yards, one rushing touchdown, two fumbles, and four tackles. I'll admit, um, when they drafted Waddle sixth overall, I didn't totally love the pick. Truthfully, I like the Jalen Phillips selection more, and Jalen Phillips, you know, had a very good year in his own right. However, it worked out fine because he proved to be easily the best offensive player on that team. One could argue that if Jamar Chase was not, you know, Jamar Chase, uh, Jalen Waddle could be in the running for offensive rookie of the year. Um, but, I mean, we saw that he was clearly a favorite target for Tua Tunga-Vailoa which was necessary because questions remain about the substantiality of the other pass catchers. Devontae Parker has shown a lot of question marks with regards to the season. Will Fuller hardly even played this year. Mike Jasicki could be on his way out if he doesn't get a contract extension. Jalen Waddle is definitely looking like the receiver of the future down in South Beach. Speaking of another wide receiver making his money, Minnesota Vikings easily MVP has to go to wide receiver Justin Jefferson. Played in all 17 games and caught 108 passes for 167 targets, um, 1,616 receiving yards, 10 receiving touchdowns with lost one with, um, I'm sorry. One fumble and lost that one. Six rushing attempts for 14 rushing yards, had a rushing fumble. Two completions uh, on four passing attempts, had 35 passing yards and one tackle. I will admit that with so many LSU Tigers in the playoffs and rooting for all of them, I just wish Jay Jettas got to get his opportunity and his shine. I mean, he proved to have an outstanding rookie season, was no fluke, and was even better in his sophomore year, which is asking a lot considering, like I said, the rookie year where he set so many rookie records that good buddy Jamar just decided to break. Um, I mean, looking at Justin, I mean, he could really be wide receiver one for 
just about any team in the league, and I think solidified his status as a top five receiver at worst in the biz. I just hope that he will get his time to shine under the bright lights because if he can, his and the legend of the 2019 LSU championship team, a.k.a. the greatest um, college football team of all time, will grow. Next up, moving on to the New England Patriots, I'm going to show love to Matt Judon, who this past year played in 17 games with 60 combined tackles, 12 and a half sacks, one fumble recovery, and one pass deflection. As a Ravens fan, it was a bit bittersweet to see Matt Judon thriving in New England. However, I mean, no one could doubt that as soon as he arrived, he was a perfect fit for Bill Belichick's defense and was a force to be reckoned with in that scheme. I mean, Matt Judon was a terrific player in Baltimore, just didn't necessarily get that attention. But now it's nice to see he's finally getting that recognition. And um, hopefully when we play, he remembers who gave him his start so he doesn't do anything crazy to Lamar. Moving on to another very good defensive player. We're talking Cam Jordan for the New Orleans Saints, their MVP. Uh, This past season, played in 16 games, had 59 combined tackles, had 12 and a half sacks, and two forced fumbles. This season continued to etch Cam Jordan's name as history as he got his 100th career sack. Congratulations to him. Um, And like I said, cemented him as one of the top edge edge rushers of this past decade I mean while Cam Jordan may not be the most recognized edge rusher in the league the Saints will look very different without him I know that in the past few years they've tried to do things like for example this past year drafted Peyton Turner out of Houston hoping that he could provide an edge to the uh pass rushers a couple years back uh drafting oh my gosh I remember his name when I don't care went to um units University of Texas San Antonio, Marcus Davenport, hoping that he can provide a bust burst, but he's kind of been a bit slow in that process. So Cam Jordan has definitely been their consistent piece at edge rusher. Moving on to another edge rusher, but definitely making a name of his own right. For the New York Giants, I picked their MVP to be outside linebacker Aziz Ojolari. Uh, played in all 17 games, had 14 combined tackles, eight sacks, one forced fumble, and two pass flexions. Now I understand how this could be one of the more confusing selections of this list, But hear me out. Bear with me. Looking at the Giants team overall, how many would you say had seasons worth talking about? It's okay. I'll wait. And I mean, when I say talk about, I mean in a positive light. Once again, I will wait. Um, I just think that in looking at what Ojolari was able to do, he was very disruptive for their defense. And even as a rookie, led the team in sacks. He was a fun player to watch for an otherwise letdown of a squad um, that boasts way too much talent to be this disappointing. Everybody expected their defense to play a lot better, especially based off last year's performance. But as we saw, we didn't get that. Moving on to another defensive selection, keeping things in the Big Apple. For the New York Jets, I'm going with their MVP being Middle linebacker C.J. Mosley um, in 16 games had 168 combined tackles with two sacks, two forced fumbles, and two pass deflections. It took a while for him to really do it, but Mosley finally got the chance to remind the league why he was seen as a top linebacker. Um, Technically, this is his third season with the Jets, but in his first year suffered a season-ending injury. 2020 opted out of COVID, so he finally was able to do what he needed to do. And, I mean, he was everywhere on defense, of course, leading the league and sorry leading the league in tackles and was second in the league with 103 solo tackles I mean while middle linebacker is not exactly a position that gets the most recognition unless you are a superstar CJ Mosley definitely has a chance to remind everyone why he is that in New York uh keeping things defensive let's talk about the Philadelphia Eagles who I believe their MVP was cornerback Darius Slay this past year played in 16 games with uh 52 combined tackles Two fumble recoveries, 
I mean, and off of two forced fumbles. Um, I'm sorry, let me rewind that. Two fumble recoveries and had two fumble recoveries returned for touchdowns with three picks and one pick six, uh, nine pass deflections. Uh, while Big Play Slay was robbed of other postseason awards, he will not be robbed by me. I mean, the Eagles front seven, which typically is, well, let me to rephrase that, their defensive line, which typically is a strong suit for them between injuries and some inconsistent play, it was not exactly up to snuff, which meant that their secondary was tested quite a bit. However, despite Darius Slay getting tested, he passed just about all of them and had one of the best years of his career. I mean, his ability to create tone, turnovers and hold his own against top wide receivers was a testament to his value to the team who truly would have suffered had he not been around. All right, let's go ahead and move on. I mentioned his name earlier, and I feel like we're going to hear a lot more of this guy's name, especially next week with NFL honors coming up. But Pittsburgh Steelers outside linebacker TJ Watt, one of the easiest choices for teams MVP. Uh, this past season played in just 15 games, but still had 64 combined tackles. Tied the all-time single-season sack record with 22-and-a-half with five forced fumbles with three fumble recoveries and seven pass deflections. I'll be the first to say, if I'm going to make a proposition with myself and with any of the listeners, that if T.J. Watt does not win Defensive Player of the Year this season, I will go and buy his jersey. Not the Wisconsin jersey. I will actually go spend money on a Steelers jersey because I cannot fathom him continuously being robbed when he is easily the best defensive player who was on the field this season. No disrespect to Aaron Donald, who was the man. Michael Parsons did some amazing things as a rookie. Miles Garrett in the same division was great. But T.J. Watt is truly in a class of his own right now. I mean, even though this year for the Steelers was all supposed to be about Big Ben and his upcoming retirement, Watt commanded every conversation, and deservingly so. Talking about another player who uh, commanded conversations, San Francisco 49ers MVP, wide receiver Debo Samuel. Playing 16 games this season with 77 receptions on 121 targets, uh, 1,405 receiving yards, six receiving touchdowns, four fumbles, two loss, 59 rushing attempts, 365 rushing yards uh, for eight rushing touchdowns, four fumbles, one completion on two passing attempts, 24 passing yards with one touchdown and one tackle. I don't know if there was a player in the league who captivated the NFL the way that Debo did as a sophomore. Whether he lined up at wide receiver, running back, hell, even he could have been a head coach, the valet, worked concession stand. He was transcendent in just about every way. I think if you take him off the 49ers, they don't make the playoffs, nonetheless, the NFC Championship. And I know that Trey Lance is going to be coming into the fold next year, and he's really going to get his chance. And if he's smart, he should do the Jimmy G method and just keep feeding Debo because Big plays are bound to happen. Sticking in the NFC West, let's talk the Seattle Seahawks, who I'm going to show some love to wide receiver Tyler Lockett. Um, this past season, played 16 games, have 73 receptions on 107 targets, 1,175 receiving yards, um, eight receiving touchdowns, two rushing attempts for nine rushing yards, and a tackle. This may be a bit of a peculiar choice just because, I mean, when you play on a team that has star caliber names like Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, Jamal Adams, DK, it's kind of hard to kind of etch yourself um, etch yourself out of that group. However, when Russ got hurt, Jamal Adams, unfortunately, was taken out of action. Bobby Wagner was just being Bobby Wagner. I think it's time for some new blood. I mean, DK has the look of an NFL player. You see him and you know he plays football. Tyler Lockett may not have the physical uh, appearance, but 
that man can ball. He's one of the better deep threat wide receivers in the league. The chemistry he has with Russell Wilson is insane. And I think it's not a I think it don't think it's too far off to say that he's Russ's favorite target. And I just hope that the league learns to appreciate him before it's too late. And then we look back about, wow, Tyler Lockett was pretty good. But one guy who I know that no one will be looking at back about not appreciating is quarterback Tom Brady. This past season at the tender age of 44, played in all 17 games, completed 485 passes compared to 719 passing attempts, good for 67.5 completion percentage, threw for 5,316 yards, had 43 passing touchdowns, 12 interceptions, 28 rushing attempts for 81 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns, four fumbles, and one loss. I'll say it, while my long hatred of Tom Brady made it impossible for me to appreciate him, I think that we can all agree that the league is going to feel very different without him. I mean, this past week we had two different announcements of him retiring, so when he officially said it, it didn't have the same pop to it. But, I mean, even still, Tom Brady is a legend, and in many people's eyes, the greatest of all time. And honestly, there's not much of an argument against it. Um Let's be honest, if he really wanted to come back, I mean, he could keep playing. He looked great um, this past season, and what better way than to go out on top? I mean, led the league in passing yards and passing touchdowns. So even though I'll be the first time I feel once he got to Tampa, my feelings on Tom kind of softened. Actually, I really like Tampa Brady. Uh, he was pretty cool, um, very much more talkative and, like, kind of showcased more of his personality to the world rather than just his teammates. And it was cool to see. So, shout-out to Tom. Congratulations. Lily have nothing else to prove. I'm sure if he wanted to, he could come back and play. I don't want him to come back and play. I want him to just go right off into the sunset because there's nothing else to prove. Literally, you've you've done it all. Congratulations. Now, never, never, never come back. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to the Tennessee Titans, who, as we all know, this award typically belongs to typically belongs to Derrick Henry. But Derrick Henry was out of commission after week eight. So we got to show some new blood. So believe it or not, I'm going with outside linebacker Harold Landry the third. It was very difficult picking between him and uh between him and Jeffrey Simmons, but I'm explaining why I went Landry. Um, this past season had 17 games with 75 combined tackles, 12 sacks, and one forced fumble. I mean, this Derek. I mean, Harold Landry, in my opinion, was one of those guys coming out of Boston College who I wanted to be good so badly, so so badly. And there, especially early on, he did show some flashes, show some potential. But this was the first year where he really just went off, led the team in sacks, really became a true leader on the edge. Of course, Jeffrey Simmons was a dog in the middle of the line as well. And, I mean, Harold Landry's timing was just perfect because this is a contract year. And if he wants to make money, he knew that he had to go out there and perform, and that he did, and finally showed that excitement that made him such a hot prospect as a Golden Eagle. So where he goes next, the – Questions kind of in the air, but I think that he really, if he stays in Tennessee, they really have set themselves up with a great pass rusher for the future. And finally, looking at Was- the Washington Commanders. Going to take some time getting used to that, fellas. I got to go wide receiver Terry McLaurin. Um, This past year, 
17 games, 77 receptions um, on 130 targets, 1,053 receiving yards, five receiving touchdowns, one rushing attempt for 12 yards and four tackles. I mean, Landon Collins also had a terrific year, but tale is old as time. No matter who you put under center, Terry McLaurin is going to make plays. Terry McLaurin is going to be a star. Um and that's what he did. I mean, he continued to shine despite the bad play around him, but despite Tyler Heineke proving not to be the guy. Um, and when injuries and other quarterbacks came in, that became a bit of a carousel. It did not matter because he was still out there performing. He's a player who no matter what's going on around him, he's going to do his job, which makes it very easy to root for him, even if you're not a Washington fan or an Ohio State fan. So shout out to Terry McLaurin. But all right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, by the way, I don't think I mentioned this at the top, but the stats that I use are all from the regular season because not everybody made the playoffs, so it didn't make no sense to include those. But, um, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please share to check out theexport.net. I repeat, theexport.net, for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast on our YouTube channel entitled The Export. Um, also, I mentioned it at the top, please. Send your prayers and love to my main man, Ethan. He's got a lot going on right now. And um, we just want him to be great because he's great. His family is great. And I just want them to be wrapped in love right now. But thank you guys so much for listening. And we'll see you all next time.